Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, we got to be on our best behavior today. The boss man's around. I am really excited about this episode. This is a total off-season episode. It's just going to be a lot of fun. Um, but this one's going to be this one's going to be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Lester's coming. Look busy. <laughs> no, absolutely. I couldn't be more happy to have him on. Lester and I go way back on podcasts. Lester, I was the first podcast I was ever on was Lester's. So uh, always great when we get together, and then the two of us as well. So uh, three minds of of bearsdom and a really interesting premise. So Lester, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about y'all? How are you guys all doing? Having a, a real good uh, early start to the summer here. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where the official summer on the calendar doesn't start for a while, but we've already had enough 90-plus yeah. degree days that I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of done with summer. When's fall start? <laughs> That's because you want football plus, season to get here. Yeah, 90-plus degree days. What is that? Yeah, you, you, you forgot about how the Midwest does extremes quite well. Well, we've got a really cool premise today, but we got to get some drinks going to get us through that. Uh, I actually am bringing on something a little different, a little interesting, and this is somewhat inspired by EJ's uh, appearances on all these different podcasts over the last couple of months, and really been appearing on a lot of international podcasts. And he was on the Irish Beers, uh, Irish Bears show, almost said Irish Beers show, which could be a fun one too. Uh, the Italian Bears show, uh, I saw you, you were on that as well. And you start to notice that we have listeners from all over the globe, and it's really cool. And so I'm bringing on an international drink. I'm going to make a Fernet Branca con coca, Fernet con coca. So this is the like national drink of Argentina. It's an Italian uh, Amaro that they actually opened a second distillery in Argentina because it is so incredibly popular there. You put it with some Coke, and it's a very unique drinking experience. I, I don't really know how else to put it. I really enjoy it, um, but it's very different. It has a uh, – a lot of people describe it as a medicinal uh, menthol type of uh, nose and, and and obviously the front part of the, the palate. I, I, I taste more of a wintergreen, but I really enjoy it. It's very different, but um, in honor of our international – uh, listening audience and particularly our Argentinian audience, I'm having a Fernet con Coca. So basically, you're drinking a Jaeger and Coke from Argentina. No, no, that's <laughs> better than that. Much better than Jaeger. Jaeger's crap. So, <laughs> EJ, you've got a fun one on. What I, do you, what do, you I do, and and while we're talking about audiences, we should uh, acknowledge both the international audience, which is something that I always think is fascinating. But I want to acknowledge the hyper local audience, and and this is crazy to me. So. I own one of about three Bears Over Beers shirts in existence, uh, and I just happened to wear it out the other day when I was doing an errand, and I was dropping my car off at the tire shop to get a leaky tire fixed, and uh, shout out to Vince, who works at my local tire center, and pointed at me and said, I love that podcast, and I was a bit taken aback. I was like, is he talking about the right one? I mean, this, like, we have a lot of listeners, but, like... (laughs) this isn't a shirt you could buy on the internet. And I was like, really? And he goes, Oh yeah, I'm a big bears fan. And I was like, that's, that's cool. And so we talked for like 30 seconds more. And I said, so Vince, it's, it's me. And he was like, what? Because he, he hadn't made the reservation. He didn't see my name. He was just taking my keys. Right. And I said, it's me. That's, it's my podcast. 
And he, he stopped for a minute and he looked at me and he goes, JB. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I said, no, that's what I said. Is it JB and I do bears over beers. And he looked at me and he was just like gobsmacked for a second. I said, it's EJ. And he's like, oh my God. He's like, that's so cool. And you have that other one on YouTube. And I was like, what are the chances? So shout out to Vince at my local tire shop uh, for being a hyper local uh, to me, Bears fan. Um, but yeah, we have fans all over the world and it's really cool. Uh, my beer doesn't have any relevance to our content today, but it is a great summer beer. Uh, one of your favorite breweries, JB, Belching Beaver Brewery. And uh, usually you're drinking their peanut butter stout. But they have a lot of fun with their labels. And this is the Miso Honey Blonde Ale. So it's ale prepared with honey. It's a little bit sweeter. Lester might even like it. Really low IBUs. Uh, not as bitter a finish. Not as many hops. Um, but it's a great summer beer. One caveat. You have to drink it really cold. Normally, I like my beers cool but not cold. So you can really taste the flavor. This one's great cold. Especially when it's hot out. It's not so good once it warms up. It's a little too sweet for me, but uh, I've got this one nice and chilled. Lester, I know you went on an expedition. What did you get? <laughs> I, I don't have nearly the, the beer palate as, as you guys do, but I got myself a uh, – it's from Indeed Brewing. It's a IPA called Flavor Wave. And, oh, no. and I just picked it because it had a cool uh, 90s looking uh, logo. I don't know if you guys can catch it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a tall boy. It, it, oh, it's a man. tall boy. It's uh you know, it's six point two percent alcohol. According to the to the label here, it says it's uh it's juicy, and, and it's sticky, sure. and, and it's pineapple-y. So, oh uh, man, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens with this one. Okay, it's always awesome to watch you drink beer since this is not your thing. But yeah. we appreciate that you have made the sacrifice. It's so for the brand, my here. friend. For the brand. Absolutely. For the brand. Absolutely. No, this Very is fantastic, cool. and I I I like the pictures of you shopping almost as much as whatever you end up with because. I can just imagine you kind of staring at the case going, what am I going to do here? Yeah, we had a guest on uh, that ran to the beer store before we started recording so that he could have a beer. That is an all-time great. We started our pre-pod workup. This was uh, the guy making the Jim McMahon documentary. And he was like, oh, you want me to get one? Hang on. I got a store right next door. I'll be right back. (laughs) And he ran to the store and got a beer. So dedication to the brand. Very good. So here's the concept for today. So after EJ did all of this draft prep work, and I, of course, love to do fantasy football drafts, and I just like the concept of of doing a draft, I wanted to use that concept to try to talk about modern football with players that we know well. And so the idea is the three of us are going to draft from a pool of Bears players from the year 2000 to today. And the idea is we are going to draft building blocks moving forward to the 2021 to 2025 seasons. So kind of this this is the building blocks that you get to build the rest of your team around for the next five years. And you have to kind of know that this is going to be your modern football that you're playing. So if the player is historic, if he's already played his career for the Bears, you know the type of player that he was. But you have to project him into the modern game. If the player is in the middle of his career, you get to take him as a bear, but you have to, and you get to hit like the reset button. So you're not taking a towards the end of the career, Akeem Hicks. You're getting Akeem Hicks' career arc as a bear, hit the reset button, and you get to use him again for the next five years. And then, of course, if you're uh, drafting a young player, even a rookie player, 
you're going to be projecting how good that player is going to be against some certainty of some of these other players that we've seen. So I think it's a kind of an interesting exercise. It could go a lot of different ways. We have all done our own prep. We've all stacked our big boards. And I think that we're going to be able to reveal some interesting conversations about players that you know, are from the past that I still have relevance or would have relevance into the, the modern football, future of football. And we'll get to have some interesting conversations about players that are currently on the roster and how they stack up in the recent history. We did uh, talked about it beforehand. I'm going to take the second pick just so that I can kind of direct traffic. And then we flipped a coin and EJ won the coin toss to have the number one overall pick. Boom. And he got very excited about getting that number one overall pick. And so uh, we are going to do a snake draft, which means that EJ will have the first pick and then he'll have to wait until pick six until it comes back around. And then he'll have pick six and seven. And so we'll just kind of run through it and, and see what happens. I'm very interested to see how you guys stacked your boards. We'll have some conversations about where different guys were at and why you had them as high as you did. Uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up at the end. So EJ, number one pick in this fantasy bears <laughs> since 2000 draft. I don't know what to call it. Uh, who are you taking? Yeah, this is fascinating. You're right. I got really excited. Normally we've done several of these now and I don't really care normally where I pick, but through the exercise of stacking the board, there are positions where there are, let's just say historical scarcity, right? And if you're looking at the modern NFL, not only do we know how these players played, we know how the teams have played without talent at that position. So I'm swinging for the fences. I'm going for it because there's not a lot of depth. And number one overall, I'm going with Justin Fields for the next five years. Okay. Number one on my board as well, Justin Fields. Lester, yep. you want to feel free to reveal where he is on your he board? He was my first pick. I was really hoping i get this because like, like you guys talked about, you know, quarterback position for the Bears historically has not been the best and since 2000 on we're having really slim pickings here so uh, with me picking third I, I, I'm really curious to see what happens at, at number two here okay well EJ talk a little bit about what this means in terms of what the Bears have in Justin Fields why a guy who hasn't played a snap in the NFL yet is going to be drafted over guys that are in the Hall of Fame guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame like talk about why this was kind of an obvious number one overall pick that we all had him number one on the big board yeah moving forward uh, we're talking about the modern NFL here so we have those players who've had tremendous impact and are on Hall of Fame uh, either they had a Hall of Fame career or they are on a Hall of Fame trajectory. But in the modern NFL, if you do not have a quarterback, you are not winning the games. You're not winning enough games. You're not going to the Super Bowl. And fans that go back and say, well, what about Trent Dilfer? Are pretty much telling on themselves that they still believe that that's possible in the modern NFL. And it's not. If you look back at the last three to five years, who ended up in the playoffs? Who ended up going to the Super Bowl? All those teams had quarterbacks that are playing at a high level. The Bears have not had a quarterback playing at a high level. Now, it's a huge risk, right? Justin Fields has never played a down in the NFL. He's more talented coming in than any of the quarterbacks that the Bears have had in terms of being a dual threat, in terms of being a pure passer. But he's never done it. So could Justin Fields bust and could this be the, you know, the biggest waste of a first round pick ever? He absolutely could. Do I think he's going to? No. 
He was in the running for the number one overall quarterback in this last draft, and that's right up there with Trevor. I would have stacked him up equally and possibly above Trevor Lawrence. So I'll take the potential because otherwise you really have to look at the drop-off just like you do in any draft. If I don't get this guy, what's the next tier? Is there a drop-off to that tier? And how many guys are in that next bubble or shelf? And in terms of Bears quarterbacking, this is a huge risk, but not getting him is a bigger risk. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to move on because I kind of assumed that all three of us would come to that same decision point that Justin Fields would be the number one overall, but it is an interesting point, and I think it underscores just why we have all been so excited about what this pick means for Chicago. No, there's not a guarantee that Justin Fields is going to be a great NFL quarterback, obviously. There's always going to be risk involved in taking a quarterback, but he's the best prospect that this team has had literally since Johnny Lujak in the 1940s. And and I think that we just have to like understand that this, this guy is someone that we have not seen wearing navy and orange since just after World War II. So let's, let's, uh, let's realize that this is a really big deal. For my first pick, and this is interesting because I tweaked my board uh, in the last few moments uh, before this draft started. And I have a a, a cloud as my kind of blue chip prospects. But I'm going to take Khalil Mack, number two overall. I don't have to project. He plays a position of extreme importance in the modern NFL. You have to get a good edge rusher. Khalil Mack is elite as an edge defender. He does everything well. He absolutely dictates game plans against him. I get to hit the reset button on what we know of Khalil Mack in the last three years since he was traded to the to the Bears. He's an incredible face of the franchise in terms of a guy that just works and does everything right. I have no problem making Khalil Mack my first pick. I like it. I like Mack. I, I thought you would go quarterback since there's really only two that are that, that are worthy of being drafted in this entire exercise. So I, I'm, I'm a little surprised you went Mack, but I'm okay with it. All right. Well, did you just play your hand? I did. Uh, it, okay. It, I'm up. I'm, I'm going to go Jay. I mean, I got to go Jay Cutler. I mean, yes, he had his warts as a player. Um, he was very average throughout his entire Bears career. But, you know, he had moments of of, of being an exceptional player, um, moments of being a boneheaded player. But, but I think, you know, in the modern NFL with the ball coming out quick, I think, you know, I think he is, you know, he has the athleticism. Uh, you get him in, in in a system that is more uh, uh, conducive to what he wants to do, uh, something like like the old uh, uh, Mike Shanahan offense. I think he's a guy that would really thrive these days. And again, you know, he was on on, on on a podcast recently talking about all the OCs he had throughout his career. You get Jay in the system, you plug him in. Here's your OC for the next few years. This is your offense. I think he will thrive. All right, let's do your second pick, and then we'll we'll come back to Cuddy. All right. Again, it's all about the quarterback. So if uh, now that I have my quarterback, I got to get a guy that can stop the quarterback. But I'm not going to go edge. I'm going to go cornerback. God damn it! I'm going <laughs> to go Charles Tillman because uh, I think the ball's coming out quick in this day and age. Charles Tillman is the guy that has the instincts. He has. He can play man. He can play zone. He, he is not scheme reliant on the Tampa two. He can do everything. Uh, so for me, it's going to be Charles Tillman. Oh, man. All right. And and I knew that was going to mess you up because I knew that was your guy. Yeah, Peanut's my guy. And spoiler alert, there's going to be some Peanut articles coming up in this uh, 30-day challenge in June uh, from from me. But 
Oh, man. Okay, so Peanut was number three on my board. He was the next guy that I would have taken. You know, he has some limitations in coverage against you know, little jitterbug wide receivers like Steve Smith. I, okay, fine. You know, like you, you can you can game plan around that. Um, but he is an incredible player. The media was late to recognize just how great Charles Tillman was. And you want to talk about face of the franchise, a guy that you can absolutely build around. Till, Tillman, I think, is a great guy, and I love coverage. And so I absolutely understand what you're going for there. In terms of Cuddy, I had Cuddy down at number nine on my big board and my thinking was that i would take blue chip talent first and then i would come back around and take a quarterback that i felt like i could win with knowing that if both of you felt that you needed to take your quarterbacks early that i would not get a quarterback in this exercise and i'm comfortable with that knowing that i'm going to build something other than a quarterback centric team so uh ej what where did you have cuddy yeah, it's funny. I had him second as I just threw players uh, at my overall list. The first thing I did just for how I set this board up was get the rosters up from 2000 forward and just put out all the positions and just grab guys without ranking them and put you know three or four guys or, or sometimes six or seven guys if we're talking about a wide receiver. But we should say that we're going to draft seven players overall. So right. if somebody wasn't a starter in at least a couple of seasons – uh, with very few exceptions, it means they're probably not going to make this list because, again, we're only picking seven players to be our core, and it's from 20 years. So if you had that great backup that you were fired up about, probably is not going to make the list. So I just threw him in there, and I initially, just in my rough rank, had him second. As I started to do some comparison, I realized that I would probably take Andy Dalton over Cutler. And it's like you, if I don't get fields, I'm going to wait because neither Dalton or Cutler is worth not taking Khalil Mack, not taking a bunch of other players on the board. As I look at it, if I'm building exactly the team you're talking about, JB, that's non-quarterback centric, I actually want Dalton at the helm over Cutler because he protects the ball more. His stats are exceedingly similar to Jay Cutler with a notable exception of interceptions. It's 40 less in a very similar career, and that was one of Cutler's most uh, annoying traits and hardest ones to win with was he was going to throw the ball to the opposition fairly regularly. You could count on it. Opposing defenders would say that. So if I'm going to build something that's not completely reliant on the quarterback, one of the things I want is that quarterback to protect the ball, and Dalton and Cutler stat-wise are pretty much a wash. Now it's a risk, right? Because Dalton's, again, never played a down as a bear. So you're projecting, and especially for the next five years, that's a bigger projection than Cutler in Navy and Orange. However, I think I'll take the gamble for the less interceptions. Yeah, I <clears throat> spoiler alert, I'm not going to take a quarterback with one of my seven picks. If those, those two guys are off the board, I'm not going to take one. So I will be jumping from the, I don't know, the free agent pool uh, to to see if I can get Josh McCown to come in and lead this team. But <laughs> all right, so my second pick, this might rankle some people. This might bother some people. Uh, but I am going to take Julius Peppers. And this gives me Khalil Mack and Julius Peppers, which, <laughs> okay, good luck. Good luck trying to throw the ball against this uh, this defensive line. Peppers, when he played for the Bears, played four years, three of them were dominant. The fourth one was a little off. Who knows if he was hurt or whatever happened, but he maybe didn't have an elite fourth year with the team, and that, that sort of led to them to cut him, and, and then he went to Green Bay and terrorized us there. 
Peppers is one of those guys that is just an absolute freak athletic talent that is one of the best edge defenders that we've ever seen in the game. The guy's going to walk into the Hall of Fame as a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was a, what, number two overall pick or something like that. He did everything right. He was a first-team All-Pro for the Bears. Um, incredible peak, and I think overall game-to-game was incredible. And so if I can take Julius Peppers in his Bears career and plug that back into 2021, this is basically like getting Miles Garrett and throwing him back into this this defense. So I'm going to pair Khalil Mack with Julius Peppers, and I'm already building the an amazing defensive front. So EJ, your choice for two. Yeah, again, this has to do with stack um, and what's left. So Tillman's off the board. Thanks to Lester, he was my number one corner. Um, you need corners in the modern NFL. Coverage is important. Pass rush, as you obviously think, is important. You took two pass rushers with your first two picks. But you need a corner. And there's about three, and one of them's a bit more of a projection. So I'm going to go with Kyle Fuller with my second pick so that I can get some coverage um, because it's really Tillman, Fuller, and Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson, an amazing rookie year, looks good going forward, but there's some injury concerns as well. So Fuller and Johnson about equal on my board, but Fuller we're, we have a, a pretty full career in front of. Uh, if I get to reset him, I'm pretty happy with him manning one of the outside corner spots and locking down receivers. So Fuller is my two, and then I get another pick, I got to have somebody for Justin Fields to throw the ball to. I'm going A-Rob. Wow. Okay. Okay. Talk about it. I love it. You've got A-Rob all the way up at the number seven overall pick. Um, this is because A-Rob is that much better than everybody else, or you feel like wide receiver is a guy that you need to take early in a draft like this? Uh, there were more wide receivers. It's the first position where scarcity is not driving the pick. Quarterback, scarcity overall. Cornerback, I talked about it. There's three guys. Got to get one of them. Um, so I'll take the top one on my board left when my pick comes up. Wide receiver, I got five, seven guys here that'll work. But wide receiver in the modern NFL, you need an alpha. And there aren't that many alphas. I would say there's probably three in my list, maybe four, depending on how you project the fourth. But Allen Robinson's the best one of all of them. And if you don't have an alpha wide receiver in the modern NFL, your offense is not going to go the way you want it to. Look all the way around. There's teams that have two alphas. Uh, Tennessee is a newly minted team that now has two alphas because Julio Jones was traded this morning and they have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. So... You need somebody to drive that passing offense, and I cannot wait. I am, like, giddy excited to see Allen Robinson with, quite frankly, the best quarterback that he has ever played with once Justin Fields takes the field. You can look at the historical roster of who's thrown the ball to Allen Robinson, and if Justin Fields is, I would say, midline for expectations, he's the best quarterback on that list. So I'm going to take A-Rob. Lester, any thoughts on EJ's two picks, maybe particularly Kyle Fuller as his second overall pick? You know, I, I had Fuller pretty high on my board as well. Um, I had A-Rob a little further down. Um, it's it's mostly just because I, I talked to you a little bit about it, JB, uh, earlier in the week that the players from 2000 on up uh, that are truly, truly good players are, are mostly on, on the defensive side of the ball for the Bears. So when I was stacking my board and, and these guys and, you know, my, my the, 
the top part of my board is mostly defense just because, you know, you have your, your guys in there that are just, you know, pro bowlers, studs are, are on that side of the ball. As far as, as Robinson, he, he's an awesome receiver. I think he, like, 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 like you guys said, he's going to have a great season with Justin Fields or Andy Dalton, who, again, Dalton's the best quarterback he's had also. So, you know, he, he's going to have a good year this year. Um, I just think as far as, uh, as, as positional value at the wideout, I was going to plan on getting my, my, my guy a little later in the draft. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Fuller's interesting. I had him uh, higher than Robinson, um, but he was in the next tier down for me. There's one player left in my blue chip tier, and I don't think that I thought I was going to get three of, the five, three, of five, three of my five blue chip guys, but here we are. Um, I'm going to take Brian Urlacher. Brian Urlacher is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Brian Urlacher, here was always my argument for Urlacher being a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was a two-time first-team All-Pro in two different schemes. He made four first-team All-Pros. So he wasn't a scheme-dependent player. He wasn't someone who sat in the exact same scheme for his entire career and did that uh, at an elite level. That's okay. That's fine. You can get in the Hall of Fame with being a scheme-dependent player. He changed schemes. And he was someone that allowed the Bears to play the scheme that they did. I think you could drop him into any defense and he would be successful. He's a guy that had safety cover skills, safety speed at, in a linebacker's body because he was too big to play safety. So they put, dropped him down. They put him in the middle linebacker. He can flow side to side. He can cover. He can go back. Like he, He's an amazing athlete. I know off-ball linebacker in the modern NFL has been devalued a little bit, but this is a guy that is a chess piece that you can move around the, the defense, and I feel pretty amazing about getting Khalil Mack, Julius Peppers, and Brian Urlacher. I understand that my offense is going to suck, but I'm building a Bears team, so you know here we are. Uh, so, so that's that's my th- that's my third pick, Lester. <laughs> Yeah, I love that pick. That was going to be the guy I went with right here. I just think, like you said, he's he is he, again. He's not relying on scheme. He's not relying on era. You know, he had the the makeup to play in any era. I think he also had forty sacks in his career. So it's not like this guy. You know, he could blitz. He could cover. You know, he, he could play the run. You know, uh, the, the the one knock you hear a lot of people say, oh, he couldn't shed blocks. You know what? A lot of guys can't shed blocks every single play. You know, those those guys on offense are pretty good too. You know, they make plays as well. So Erlacher, he's not the perfect specimen, but he's a damn good football player, and that's an awesome pick for you right there. Yeah, your defense is shaping up to be all world uh, right now. It's super ugly. Uh, I don't know any offensive coordinators right now that are certainly going to want to try and run the ball against you. Passing is going to be difficult as well with the pass rush, and Lester brought up a really good point that Erlacher is going to add there as well. He was one of my blue chip players, my top inside linebacker. Again, inside linebacker slightly devalued, but I don't think there's any uh, question that Erlacher's skills would translate in any area. I did make one note. I want that guy playing at 240. I don't need mm. him at 265 in the modern uh, NFL. Sure. Like, I sure. want him at 240. I want him still, like, 240 is still larger than most linebackers in the NFL. It's He's a good 20 pounds better than the average starting middle linebacker in the NFL right now. And he's so damn fast that he made Tampa 2 work because he could get 15 to 20 yards deep against anybody and ran like a safety. So, I have no compunction about taking him as a defensive chess piece. I put that guy at 240. I tell him to go forwards. I tell him to go backwards. I tell him to go side to side, cover running backs. He can do it. And at that speed, or I mean, at that weight 
and that speed combination, like Erlacher plays in any era. Thanks. I'm happy with the pick. <laughs> That's a nice one. Lester, you got the next two. I got two. So uh, I'm kind of bouncing around my board a little bit. I'll kind of wait and see how, how the board fell with you guys. Um, since I got my quarterback, since I got my, my top corner, um, I'm going to go with a position that's not really looked at these days as, as a, uh, a high-value position. Um, I don't think there's ever been a, a, a center taken uh, really high oh, you in, jerk. in the NFL draft. <laughs> you jerk! <laughs> but with a guy like Olin Krutz, you know, in the modern NFL, you know, he can, you know, I'm not sure. I, I saw a tweet earlier this week. I'm not sure it was from. It was one of those longtime scouts. They said the center position is starting to gain, gain more more favor with, with, with teams because it's their job to get everything set. Yep. You know, with a guy like Krutz, he is the leader that any team could use. You know, he, he's obviously, you know, one of the best guys at, at his spot. You know, so so give me Olin Krutz with my pick here. And then I'm going to stay on O line, but but this time I'm going to go a little bit more of a, of a projection. Okay. And I'm going to go offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins because again I, I watch his college tape and you know I am not a draft pick like EJ, but th- this guy makes me happy when I watch his college film. He is just a nasty mauler. I don't care if he's a left or right tackle. Um, he's going to be a tackle somewhere for the Bears. The Bears are going to play him at left, obviously, but but for me, you know, he'll end up where he ends up. And he'll be there for the next, you know, 15 years. But but I'm going Crutes. I'm going Tevin Jenkins. Those are my two guys. So Olin wouldn't have made it back to you, EJ. That was going to be my next pick. And and I think that that's it brings up an interesting conversation because this is one that EJ and I talked about on the show where we talked about some of these center prospects that were coming out and how that would be an interesting thing to for the Bears to do in the draft where take a tackle and then take a center and let – white hair and, and let Daniels play the guards positions and then really have a guy that's going to anchor the center. And I think that if I was building an offensive line from scratch, what I would do is I would, I would invest in the tackles cause you got to go up high to get them. And then I would, I would, t- my next priority would be a center. And I'm not saying just put anybody at guard because as a former offensive guard, I, you know, there's some talent there. You got to have the right guy, but if you can build with two tackles and a center, you can have guys that are maybe just more of a scheme fit or guys that are more work hard type guys that anchor those two guard spots that serve as the connective tissue between the more highly talented tackles and the and the center that kind of makes everything run. And I think that you're right, Lester. I think I saw the same thing that people are starting to value center a little bit more, particularly for a young quarterback. And so it would have been great for EJ to be able to to match Olin with Justin Fields, but um, that's that's absolutely true. Now, so so Olin was not going to make it back to EJ, so saying that I, he would have been my next choice. Jenkins, I had a little further down because just because of the hit rate um, in the draft and and worrying a little bit about putting him at left tackle. Maybe you feel like you can keep him at right tackle, but um, I had him just a, a smidge lower but i like how, how you're trying to build that with taking a tackle and, and taking the center ej what are your thoughts on those two picks damn it <laughs> no uh Olin, my top rated not only my top rated center but my top rated offensive interior lineman right and again saw the same tweet you guys did a couple of guys that i have tons of respect for um also commented on that and again jb and i talked about that in the lead up to the draft that a guy like creed humphrey in the second would have been amazing for the bears if you're building that interior offensive line and allowing a young quarterback not to have to worry about calling protections 
necessarily, and also not willing to, or you know, suffer internal pressure, which is what any quarterback doesn't like. Drew Brees famously hated interior pressure more than exterior pressure. So Olin Krutz way up there. Um, full disclosure, the only Bears jersey I own, Olin Krutz. So, but in terms of interior offensive line, again, only picking seven players, interior offensive line, and maybe you guys could speak to this, it was one of the positions that I was like, damn, if I don't get my first guy, I'm fine. Like, I can get like there's a bunch of good guards i could go three or four deep get this in my maybe seventh pick if i want to pick that and still get a player that is you know pro bowler right so not one of the positions the bears have sort of struggled to attain uh they've had some very good well very good center some very good guards um going back to 2000 so i i'm not from that perspective I'm not as saddened uh, about this from losing Olin. I'm, I'm deeply saddened, but um, in terms of Jenkins, I had him third on my tackle list. So my top two tackles are still there and it's just because he hasn't played yet. I love Tevin Jenkins. I like him better at right than I do at left. He has played left. I think he's got a very bright future. I think he is a guy that will get a second contract from the bears. Love his style, love his physical ability, uh, but it's just the unproven nature. Going forward, I think it's a great building block pick, and this is a building block draft, so I have no issue with him taking being taken there. Um, but I'm okay. I got a couple more tackles. Love Jenkins as a player. Just uh, I don't get to pick him now. Okay. I, I don't really know what to do here because <laughs> I'm just building this ridiculous defense, and I'm trying to stay true to my board, and I know that this is a defensive-heavy team, so it is what it is, and I'm the one that put together these rules, so <laughs> you would think that I would have anticipated this potential outcome. Uh, I, this Again, this might make people be like, what are you doing? I have two guys that I would put as the exact same rank if I could. And I, 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 I geez, <laughs> I flipped these two guys back and forth. These are the two guys that are left in my second tier. And they're actually at the top of my second tier. And so I feel like I have to take them. Otherwise, I'm dropping way down. And so I... All right. I'm going to take Tommy Harris. <laughs> and oh, you you picked him just at the right time because he was going in the next two picks. I want to make the point that Tommy Harris was basically kind of a, a one step down from Aaron Donald when when Tommy Harris was going he it was an amazing three technique that really made that defense run it was basically the Warren Sapp role in the Tampa 2 defense but interior pass rush has become such a in vogue thing because of Aaron Donald and Tommy Harris was doing it at an extremely high level for years and years now i know i'm getting a guy that has knees that won't hold up forever i get that but he is so dominant that it gives me that third pass rusher which i know i'm now just like building just a defensive line or a front seven i get that but this gives me a guy that is going to give me amazing interior pass rush ability and i'm going to pair that with mac and peppers good luck offensive lines trying to do anything on offense with those three on the defensive line. So Tommy Harris is my next pick. Jerk. 
<laughs> no, Tommy Harris was going to be my next pick uh, if you didn't take him, and I was kind of hoping you'd sort of forget about him. Uh, absolutely dominant, and one of the guys that as I was putting this list together, I thought he'd be better in the modern NFL than he was at the time he played. Right, He'd be more appreciated, for sure. He would, he would be more impactful because of the guy that you talked about. He was... Some percentage of Aaron Donald. Was Tommy Harris Aaron Donald? No. He his hand use wasn't quite as developed. Well, definitely not quite as developed as Aaron Donald. His strength wasn't quite as developed as Aaron Donald. His quickness was every bit of Aaron Donald, right? He was ferocious and disruptive, again, creating interior pressure. And that's more valuable, right? Because you can get to the quarterback more quickly from the interior than you can from the exterior. So all these edge rush guys that have a lot of pressures but don't have a ton of sacks, they're still influencing the game, but it takes them longer to get around the edge. You get a guy that beats the guard off the snap and he's as quick as Tommy Harris and he's in the quarterback's face, like that play is over. So Tommy Harris, an absolute defensive weapon that in today's game I think would have even greater value than when he played. When I did the championship belt series, uh, I gave all these guys nicknames that didn't have them, and I basically repurposed a historical Bears nickname for Tommy Harris. And I think it was Bill Hewitt It has the original nickname. I could be wrong on that, but he was called the Offsides Kid. And it was because his get-off was so good that pe- that offensive tackles were convinced that he was offsides uh, because he was so quick off the line. And that's what Tommy Harris was. Now, Tommy Harris was offsides sometimes because he liked to jump the count, and, and he, would get, he would get caught uh, from time to time. But Tommy Harris, to me, I nickname him the offsides kid because his he had the best first step that I've ever seen in an interior defensive lineman at the time. I, you know, Donald's in his own stratosphere, but Tommy Harris is kind of that one step down version of that. So, all right, EJ, you're you're up for two. Yeah, I've I've been sort of out at the edges here. I started with quarterback, and then I went out to outside cornerback, and then I went out to boundary wide receiver or alpha wide receiver. And I've got to I've got to pay some attention to the lines here, or my team's going to get gutted from the inside out. I've got two picks to do it. I'm going to go with the best defender that you guys have left on the board, uh, and that's Akeem Hicks. Uh, I need some pressure. He is a guy that can command double teams. He can play inside. He can slide inside on passing downs. He can play outside. He can even go you know, out to what we would consider a defensive end and still be particularly effective. He's a tremendous player. Uh, it's not a projection. I know what I'm getting. So Akeem Hicks is my first pick. And then I got to get something on the offensive line. Same thing. Got to protect the quarterback. Um, Lester took Tevin Jenkins uh, and Kroots. So those were two of the guys that I certainly would have taken. But I'm, I'm going to throw the way back machine here and go with a guy that's pretty underappreciated in Bears history. And that's John Tate. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Right? Love it. Like Tate as a bear. When you go back, and again, this is kind of forgotten, right? The Bears had struggled to tackle a little bit before Tate. They had their heyday. There was a a little bit of a lull there. They grabbed Tate on a free agency contract. He just comes in and just, like, starts for four or five years, just locks down the position. They end up signing him again. Like, this is a guy that is a high-level professional tackle in the NFL. He played left, right? He's a cornerstone-type guy. Is he going to the Hall of Fame? No, he's not. Was he extremely solid, better than Charles Leno, uh, one of the other guys on my board? Yeah. And the the second guy I had 
who, you know, since we're only picking seven guys, I feel like I can let you know it's James Williams. And James Williams is more of a right tackle, right? Big Cat Williams, very good tackle, but he's a right tackle. I'm going to take Tate and prioritize him as a left tackle as uh, kind of the precursor to Leno with, I think, a little bit more skill, right? Here's a guy that you just plug in at left. He does his job. He's not fancy. A lot of people don't remember him. He played for a long time for the Bears, and he was pretty effective. Was he a crusher? Was he a mauler? No, but he did his job. He kept the quarterbacks upright for the most part. So I'm going to go with Keem Hicks and John Tate. Well, Hicks was the guy that I was – Harris and Hicks, to me, are very closely ranked – and I think that you could justify taking Hicks before Harris, but I just love Tommy Harris in terms of what he brought and particularly paired with what I had. But obviously Hicks is a, is an incredible player and uh, lesser. What do you think of those two picks? Are you yeah. Was yeah, Tate I, on I your like board? Guys. Tate, Tate was on my board. Um, I, I had one other offensive lineman ahead of Tate uh, who's still in play for me in case I want to go that route. But um, uh, I'm not sure if I will because I have Cruz and Jenkins and we're only picking seven, so I'm not sure if I'm going to go with a third old lineman. But but I had one other guy there, uh, and when we're all done, I'll kind of talk about that guy maybe. But um, and then Hicks and then Hicks and Harris, those those are the t- obviously the two premier interior guys uh, the Bears have had you know the last 20 years. So uh, I was hoping to pull one of those guys. That's not happening now. So we'll kind of see which way I pivot the next pick. All right, so we're on the next tier for me. So we we've ate up the first two tiers of players. I'm into my third tier. There are a couple of guys that are off the board in that third tier. I could go a lot of different directions here. I feel like I'm being pushed to take um, an offensive player just to have an offensive player. You <laughs> think? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I take it for offensive players. I, yeah, just keep building. Uh, 85 Bears. <laughs> I think that the – yeah, pretty much. Yeah, just go full meatball. That's here, how the team should be built, my friend. All defense. Let's go. I am, I'm, I'm arguably, so this whole tier is pretty much guys that are at positions that are a little lower value or question marks or injury history or whatever, right? So, so everybody has a little bit of a flaw here, but they're really good players. I'm going to take Greg Olson because I think that's the best pass catcher that's left on the board. And this is a guy that I think could actually be a little bit more improved in the modern NFL because of what you've seen with Travis Kelsey, because of what you've seen with George Kittle, uh, because of Kyle Pitts going number four overall. I mean, he's not quite as athletically talented as as Pitts is coming into the league, but this is a guy that was a first round pick, uh, you know, the year after the Bears got to the Super Bowl, the Bears used him, I thought, fairly okay for the era that he was in. And then Mark Martz said, I don't know how to use a tight end. So they traded him, and all he did was have a really great career in Carolina. And so for me, Olsen, I think actually having him reset his career in the modern NFL would be a good thing, and I think he would thrive. And I think that the tight end position is seen more as a pass catcher than it is a guy that has to block. And so this is a – and he could block, but uh, I think this is a guy that – would have actually even more value in the modern NFL. So my first offensive player, it'll make my mom happy, Greg Olson. <laughs> Got to keep mom happy. Uh, Always have to yeah, keep mom no, happy. Olson was my top tight end. It's just a tight end. He's definitely a blue chip player. Like Guys – got a case for eventually going into the hall of fame if not certainly the hall of very good carolina's ring of honor if they have one certainly should go there like olsen is a guy i think the same thing as tommy harris like if you use him appropriately he could be 
I think almost Travis Kelsey. Like, he has that level of skill. And those players are worthwhile. Most tight ends are not. But if you're talking about Kelsey, you're talking about Waller, you're talking about Kittle, and I think, you know, Greg Olson comes in just below those guys but could be considered kind of the transition where you might start thinking about a tight end instead of a wide receiver. Lester yeah, for I two. Like the, I, I, I like the Olsen pick as well. He, he was like kind of the, the mid-tier on my board. He was my top tight end. I had... I had two tight ends on my board. We'll see if I go to the second one at some point here. But, but uh, yeah, I, I like that pick. Um, for me, again, I already got three guys on offense. You know, I don't want to totally ignore the defensive side of the ball. Um, again, I'm going to go to a position here that that isn't as valued quite in the modern NFL. But but he he is he's an off ball linebacker, and he he is he's not a pass rusher. Uh, so in a modern NFL, depending on on the scheme, he's either going to play uh, the, the the weak side linebacker or he's going to be a, a, a secondary inside guy. And, and I'm talking Lance Briggs. And and the reason why is because an underrated part of his game throughout his time was he is so good in coverage. You know, this guy had had a had a bunch of picks for his position, a lot a lot of tip passes. He's a guy that can cover. And in today's NFL, you need those linebackers that can cover. Um, I think Lance Briggs is a guy that, you know, I think he was seven or eight-time Pro Bowler. Um, yes, the Tampa 2 kind of helped helped his career a little bit. He was a, a, a perfect fit for that scheme. You know, but again, a big part of his role was coverage, and, and that's something Lance Briggs excelled at. And then for my next pick here, man, you guys really messed me up with the uh, with the Hicks and Harris uh, picks there. <laughs> um because I'm kind of lacking at, at, at a pass rusher right now. And my next guys that I kind of had are kind of further down my board. Do, do I reach? Um, I, I'm not sure if I want to reach for a guy uh, at this point in, in the draft. Uh, so, so I'm going to go another guy who, who, who is, who is an, a, a former All-Pro. Um, I, I think, you know, the, has some good football still in front of him, and that's Eddie Jackson at free safety. Okay. Um, you know, I just think that he was kind of misused a bit the last couple years in Chuck Pagano's scheme. You know, if you can get him in more of a, of a zone-based stuff, kind of let him use his instincts properly, I think that's kind of the best thing for a guy like Eddie Jackson. Uh, so, so you know, I'm going to go defense here. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, going the, the the JB route of the defense now, kind of, kind of really stacking those guys. But, again, we got two guys that have Pro Bowl, All-Pro talent here. Uh, that's just kind of how, how my board looks. So I'm going to go uh, uh, Briggs and Jackson. Yeah, Briggs actually was a tier below for me, and it's because maybe I lack imagination, but – feel like he wouldn't be quite as valued in the modern NFL and maybe it's just because I can't necessarily I didn't necessarily see him actually do it on the field so my mind says well maybe that's not as big of a deal and I could maybe get him later or be okay if he went off the board obviously an incredible player with a great career but one that is not going to even sniff a hall of fame vote because even though he has all of these pro bowls and credentials he's just not someone that the the NFL really values in that no. way, uh, and so I, I yeah, I, I struggle I, because he's great. With a guy like Briggs, you know, he plays a position at outside linebacker that that Hall of Fame voters want sacks from, and that just wasn't Briggs's game. You know, I mean, 
maybe he could have done it if he was asked to do it, but you know, he just says something he was never asked to do in this scheme. Uh, but but I see Briggs in the modern game. Like I said, he, he if, if if I do go three if, if I go three four, I see him as a guy that can play the inside, uh, kind of that that Roquan Smith role because he had he was a really great athlete. And again, I talked about his coverage skills. You know, that's something he did. But then also in the run, you know, he was one of the premier run stoppers in his era. Yes, it's not as valued at, at this point in the game, but but his TFLs. I'm not sure if that stat was was around when he first started, but I remember a stat called Stuffs. I think mm-hmm. it was Pro Football Focus had that, and he was every year one of the top guys in that category, and that's, that, that's a run plug-in stat, obviously. Uh, so so he's elite at that. Uh, I think his pass coverage skills are extraordinary. Uh, so, again, it's not really a, a, an off-ball linebacker in this day and age, but he's one of the guys I think that could really thrive in that role. Oh, no, that, it's, a, it's a good argument. And, and Bojack's interesting. Uh, um, maybe you can say why you think Eddie Jackson above Mike Brown or any other safety uh, if you just feel like he's got a higher ceiling. Yeah, I think it's the ceiling. I mean, I, 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 I had Mike Brown you know, right there below Jackson. Um, so just with Mike Brown, I'm not sure if it was just the perception throughout the league, you know, but I think Mike Brown didn't make his Pro Bowl until really, really late in his career. Um, and with Jackson, I mean, Jackson's a guy who's played at, at an elite level. You know, I think he he's he's already in just a couple of years has as many uh, uh, picks for touchdowns that Brown had in his entire career. So, again, those guys were were pretty much one two for me. If 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 Jackson was gone, I probably would have took Brown right here. I think Brown probably made that early Pro Bowl All Pro in '01 with those two return touchdowns. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But but then yeah, I think you know he had some injuries and and all that. But it, it, Mike Brown's not off the board, so we'll we'll leave that alone. I I feel like safety is like in the Big Lebowski with his rug. It really ties the room together. <laughs> like you can really do a lot with your secondary if you have an elite safety. And I think Jackson does that. I actually did have Jackson above Brown as well. Um, and I and I think it's because he was misused in the last couple of years by Chuck Pagano. Maybe not. Maybe misused is not the right term, but maybe not um, maximized his abilities. And, and I think that I'm excited to see what Sean Desai does with him. EJ, what about you? What do you think about Lester's picture? Yeah, I had Eddie Jackson above Mike Brown. And I just want to say, if you give me, again, we're talking about projections and kind of overall. If you give me the first two years of Eddie Jackson, it's not close. Right. If we're just talking about those first two years versus Mike Brown's entire career, and I am a huge Mike Brown fan. I love Mike Brown. If you say Eddie Jackson at his first two years of of production, easily a tier above Mike Brown, especially moving forward in the modern NFL. But Jackson and Brown were my top two safeties. Um, Briggs is interesting for me. I had him as my third inside linebacker and again it's the projection to the modern lance briggs terribly underappreciated player played at an extremely high level do i think his game translates as well to the modern nfl which is really this building block going forward idea of the draft i don't right i think he's one of those guys that might be less effective because those run stops he's not going to get as many chances they might rush 12 or 15 times whereas when Lance Briggs was playing they might rush 20 25 or even 30 times so he's going to get more bites at the apple in the old game um I liked his coverage but I don't like it as much uh as some other players on the Bears so um little less on Briggs not overall as a player or or as a Bears historical player like again I think he was wildly underappreciated especially late in his career um 
because he was always top ranked in so many things. And if you watched Bears games every week, he made impacts. He was an impact player from that position. It's just that that particular position, I'm not so sure of the translation to the modern NFL. I had him as the 21st ranked player on my board, which meant that he was in play for this exercise. Certainly somebody that I would have taken. Um, and, and, you know, you're taking with just a few picks left, so it's not like, you know, that's that much of a reach or anything. Um, certainly I wouldn't take him after I took Mac and Peppers and Erlacher because, you know, I need to kind of do other things. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go right back to the defense because I've got a player sitting here <laughs> that's number 12 on my board and I can't walk away from him, and that's Jalen Johnson. I'm going to get my corner here. And I like where I'm getting him. I feel like that's good value. And the thing I like about Johnson is that he came in ready to play right out of the gate, was aggressive, had a lot of pass breakups, PBUs, and is a guy that wants to be the best corner on the team. He wants to be the best corner in the league. He has that modern mentality, that edge about him to be a really good player. Yeah. The shoulder worries me, absolutely. But he has a chance to develop into a guy that's going to be talked about as a Pro Bowl corner, potentially an all-pro corner, because he has the skill set and the want to. They all have the want to. That's kind of a cop-out. But he just seems to have that swagger about him that makes you think, like, yeah, he might do it. And he's going to make sure that you know it when he does it. Yeah, for sure. Johnson, again, third corner on my board, but really in that same tier. And and some people will think this is absolutely, you know, against the grain that this is heresy. But he's in that same tier as Tillman and Fuller, right? He has to continue doing it. He has to stay healthy. But there is no better debut than what Jalen Johnson had last year, right? He was one of the top-ranked corners in the league, not the top-ranked rookie corners he was one of the top ranked corners outside in the entire league now can he sustain that we hope so as bears fans i loved him coming out in the draft and again couldn't have been happier with his debut is he going to have the longevity that a guy like kyle fuller or a guy like charles tillman had we hope so if he does you're going to be talking about him in the same vein so it's worth it and again a projection sort of building block draft to take a guy like Jalen johnson it's not really a drop off he's a he's one of the higher ranked players left on this board again based on his debut ej for two lester you want to jump in no, on know, johnson I, you know, just throw a quick on johnson you know if, if he didn't get injured towards the end of his his rookie year i think i would have had him a, a little higher on my board but here's a guy that had shoulder injuries in college had him again his as a rookie so for me I'm a little concerned with that moving forward as as counting on him to be building block. I think he has the upside is there. Obviously, the upside is there with a guy like Johnson. But but in in this exercise, I had a, another corner actually on my board ahead of him. Oh, okay. Well, I definitely want to know about that. Uh, but EJ, we're gonna do your final two picks first. Yeah, I'm gonna put the pedal down. I'm gonna say for the next five years, offense wins in the NFL, and I'm just gonna go for it. Like there are some good defenders, some really good defenders on my board. Um, but I think the Bears are coming around to this, and I mean literally in the last six months, realizing that if your offense doesn't work and you don't score points, you're you're putting yourself behind the eight ball at the start, right? You have to play very good defense. You have to get some special teams. You have to get some turnovers as opposed to just running up the scoreboard and saying, we're going to score more than you. That has never been the way the Bears have been built. And if you look at the offseason moves – and not only what happened, but also what was rumored to happen. Um, 
you know, they let go one of their primary defenders in Kyle Fuller. Uh, Akeem Hicks was on the trade block, right? They're taking these key pieces on defense and saying, nope, we're going all in on the offense. And I'm going to do the same thing. So I'm going to grab Brandon Marshall because if you pair Robinson and Marshall, uh, you're (laughs) making life hard for opposing defenses. You can say what you want about Brandon Marshall as a locker room presence. You can say what you want about him as a person off the field. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is when he was on the field, he was the alpha. He was the Allen Robinson before Allen Robinson. If you give me the chance, which this exercise does, to pair those guys, who are you going to double? Like, pick one. You're done. If you single either one of those guys, they are going to win 85% of the time. And this one's going to be controversial. After Marshall, I'm going to go to a position that is undervalued, but I'm going to grab somebody that's special and, again, I think could thrive even more in the modern NFL, and that's Matt Forte. Okay. This is a guy that can contribute to the run game. Obviously, he was a silky smooth runner. He was a great pass receiver. He was not a good pass receiver. He was one of the better pass receiving backs in the NFL at a time when it was less appreciated than it is now after guys like CMC and Alvin Kamara. And you can continue to name a whole bunch of other host of backs. The guys that go off the board first in fantasy all the time, they're those dual threat guys. They're going to be creating the most yards from scrimmage. And if you give me an offense with Justin Fields, Allen Robinson, Brandon Marshall, and Matt Forte, I'd Put it up against your super stack defense, JB, because they got to be everywhere at once. And if they're not, they're going to give up a big play. So those are my two. I, all right, Forte, believe it or not, I had Forte above Brandon Marshall because I, I buy your Forte argument. And I think that he is a guy that would certainly reset just fine in the modern NFL. Might get even a little bit more love than he did. I don't know if it's draft status being that, that hurt him because he was a second round pick not like this high first round pick or something like that I, i'm just not sure why people didn't love matt forte as much as bears fans did but uh, i do think that he would fit in just fine i i am a little surprised because you know running backs don't matter i kind of thought that he could potentially go undrafted in this exercise marshall for me i look at marshall and i think he's got a couple years of elite production certainly volume had a lot to do with that I think that you know his his playing history for the Bears is a bit checkered because he certainly dealt with the mental health issues, which I think is amazing that he's been such an advocate for that and he's come out and, and been at the forefront of that. And that is that's much bigger than anything he did on the field. And and I think that's it's great that he uh, is leading the way on that. The thing about his time with the Bears is that he was a bit of a destructive presence in the locker room at that time. And so for me, I sort of internalized that as being somewhat of a negative. He didn't have a long history. And so I actually discounted him down on my board. He was outside of my top 21, uh, but he was still on my big board in case um, the board broke that way. Uh, so I, I don't know. Those, I mean, those two guys were great on the field together. I enjoyed watching those offenses. But Lesser, what did you think of those two picks? Yeah, I only had two wideouts on my entire board. I think I got maybe 30 players, kind of you know, the way I had them set up here. Um, it's just because, one, the Bears really haven't had you know elite talent at that spot, but also partly because I think moving into the future, I think, you know, I'm not saying that wideout's going to be devalued like, like tailback has been, but I think with teams, 
in college, having so many elite wide receivers, you know, you can find guys a bit later in the draft. Yes, if there's an if there's a true alpha there, get him. But you know, if if there's not a guy sitting there for you, I think you can find guys a little later that can be highly productive in today's NFL just because there are so many guys doing that right now with, with all the spread offenses going on in college. So that's why I only had two wideouts on my board, and they're both uh, obviously gone right now. I, I agree with you, Lester, and I think this is a conversation that we'll probably be having for the next few years is that I think there's going to be so many good wide receivers that come into the league because of the seven-on-seven camps and and seven-on-seven leagues and all and it just so many of these wide receivers are so developed that you can get a guy like Darnell Mooney in the fifth round and, and you're you're seeing guys that can step in right away and produce in modern NFL offenses. Now you need three of them probably at a minimum to to go forward with, but if I'm building building blocks. I may be saying, well, these are my building blocks, and then I can go out and I can get these guys because there's so many of them in every single draft. The last two drafts have been incredibly deep for wide receivers. And so for me, I had the same mentality where I was like, I know Allen Robinson is an alpha. I don't really have anybody else at the wide receiver position that I am willing to rank in the top 21. I had Greg Olson, obviously, high enough for me to take him there. So I'm... I'm, I'm kind of in a weird place here with my last pick because, again, I want to tra- stay true to my board, but it's so weird because there's still one defender left that's in that third tier for me, and I love safeties, and they really tie the room together. But I don't feel like I can take Mike Brown here um, just because of the, the injury history, and I love Mike Brown. If we win another round or two, I certainly would, would, would do that. So now I'm going to go to offense. And I'm saying, okay, do I take Cody Whitehair? Do I take James Daniels? I probably have Whitehair above on my board, James Daniels, as much as that hurts my Hawkeye heart. Do I take a guy that maybe isn't going to be super impactful at the wide receiver position but should go into the Hall of Fame because he's an amazing returner, the best that ever do it? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Devin Hester because – Devin Hester is nice. an X factor, and I understand you say, "Oh, well, they moved the the kick yard line up, and so there's not." Many, you know what? Cordell Patterson showed that he's still going to take the kicks out of the back of the end zone. Hester would have done that as well. He's still an amazing punt returner. I'm never going to take him off the field on a return. He's going to return every single kick. Uh, the Bears made a mistake by taking him off the field on that, so they could save him to be a wide receiver one. But to me, the hidden yardage it was all around Devin Hester because. Punters just refuse to kick to him. or And some, I think, kickers would prefer to kick it out of bounds on kickoffs and just give the Bears the ball at the 40 rather than, than having uh, Devin return it. He really changed games, impact games, and so much of it is hidden yardage. And so I am going to take Devin Hester to be my X factor. And I think he's just as valuable now as he was when he was in the league. Yeah, for sure. Hester gives you dual value. I, I agree. His primary value is on special teams, but he was a better receiver than most people realize. Yes. And mm-hmm. he was miscast as a number one. He should not be an alpha. You should not have an offense where you're saying, Devin Hester's my guy. He's still produced. You put that guy in as a wide receiver three or four in the modern offense, his value is absolutely elevated. All right, Lester, last pick of this draft. What do you got? Well, we're back to me. Um, 
You know, the, the way my board kind of fell, I kind of I don't really have any, any weapons for, for my quarterback right now. So so I'm kind of forced to uh, to go a little further down my board. Uh, so I'm leaving guys that I had high like like Roquan and and a guy like Cody White here, Mike Brown. I'm going to pass these guys up. Uh, so for me, it comes down to do I get it? Do I get a tailback? And I only had two running backs on my board. Uh, so do I get a running back, or do I get my second tight end on my board? And the, the tight end was kind of a knucklehead, and and a guy like uh, Martellus Bennett, but but he was uh, such a good player uh, when he was right and when he was being fed the ball. You know, he's a guy that he he could block. Obviously, you know, he was a pretty good blocker. You know, but he was you know such a great athlete. He can do so many things in, in the passing game. You know, I'm not sure he's quite at that Travis Kelsey, you know, George Kittle level as a receiver. You know, but he caught 90 some balls for the Bears one year. Um, and then my uh, running back, I'm looking at another guy. He would fit right in his modern NFL. He's he's a great runner, great receiver. I think he caught 50 some balls one year for the Bears uh, back when that wasn't really in vogue. And that's a guy like Thomas Jones. So for me, it comes down to: Do I want to go with a tailback, kind of run a little more of a smash mouth kind of stuff here, or I'll go with Bennett with my tight end? And I think I'm going to go Thomas Jones, uh, running back. Again, it's it's the way that the he's one of the few offensive players that I think really from from the Bears have had that could really translate to this era. You know, he he could do it all. I mean, he was a, a pretty good pass blocker as well. Um, you know, he, he could run the ball, obviously. Um, but his receiving skills, you know, he can do anything with Thomas Jones. You know, he, he, he may not have been the, the the receiver that Matt Forte was, but he was a much better runner, in my opinion. Oh, he was, absolutely. He was a better runner and had the, the first-round pedigree. I mean, this was a guy that was drafted high by the Cardinals. I believe he was drafted right around Urlacher, if I'm not mistaken, in that, in that uh, same neighborhood. And so this is a guy that has all the pedigree in the world and really beloved bear player for a guy that, really didn't play too many years with the bears and just three years right was he with the bears three years uh, yeah i think that's right i think it's three yeah. and then they chose to go out and, and get benson and kind of divided the locker room and i think there was some unfortunate fallout from that but you know absolutely this is a guy that would have value in the modern game now i didn't have him on my board that doesn't mean that i think it's a bad pick i just sort of stopped at a point where you know it was somewhat redundant here okay so that's the draft. Let me go through it real quick. So EJ winds up with Justin Fields, Kyle Fuller, Allen Robinson, Akeem Hicks, John Tate at tackle, Brandon Marshall for his second wide receiver, and then finished up with Matt Forte. Lester went Cuddy with his first pick, Peanut Tillman with his second pick. He's got Olin Krutz to man the pivot. He took rookie Ke- uh, Tevin Jenkins. He took Lance Briggs. He's going to convert Lance Briggs over into an inside linebacker. He took Eddie Jackson at the safety spot and then took fan favorite Thomas Jones. And then my team went heavy defense. I stayed true to my board. I went Khalil Mack, Julius Peppers. So I've got great edge rushers to start. Brian Urlacher is going to man the middle. He can still be a modern linebacker. Tommy Harris, great three technique. So I'm going to get interior pass rush as well. Greg Olson as a pass catcher in the modern game. The second-year man, Jalen Johnson, uh, to man a corner spot. And then the X-Factor, Devin Hester. So those are the teams that we drafted as the building blocks. Again, we would then build around them. Uh, So that's the exercise. We're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, I've got some questions for these guys on uh, how, how they thought through this process and what they would change and et cetera, et cetera. So stick with us. 
Um, all right. Well, that's the so that's the draft. I want to I want to go through your big board though, and I want to talk about players that are left on the big board that didn't get drafted. I want to talk about how you think your team is overall, how the exercise went relative to what it went through in your mind. I'm not surprised I wound up with that many defensive players, but that's probably not going to be a recipe for long-term success in the modern NFL. So maybe I'm maybe I'm not going to win this exercise. But I'll, I'll start off, and I will say I had Roquan in my third tier. And so he was ranked 15th on my board, and I had Mike Brown at the end of that tier. Obviously, taking Urlacher meant that I wasn't going to take Roquan. I wasn't going to double up there. But Roquan's a really good player. You know, he's got a really bright future ahead of him. I'm a little surprised that no one took him. And Brown, I get it with injuries. I just he's just a personal favorite. Um, probably had him too high on my board. Uh, and then that last year, guys that didn't get drafted: Cody Whitehair, Darnell Mooney, who I think showed incredible route running ability, and he's got speed. Um, he made my board. James Daniels made my board. I'm not sure he's shown enough to deserve it, to be quite honest, but I do think he uh, is going to be good for the Bears. I had Eddie Goldman just because I wanted to mention Eddie Goldman is better than probably a lot of Bears fans remember. He opted out last year. He's a really good defensive tackle. I really like Eddie Goldman. I also had Alshon Jeffrey listed, um, not a guy that I was going to take, but I wanted to at least mention that when he was right, he was very good. He was a very good jump ball artist. That's a really good skill set to add into the wide receiver mix. But it wasn't something that I was going to take because he had such soft tissue injury issues, and I, I wasn't going to deal with that. But I did want to mention that Alshon uh, was a guy that, you know, a healthier Alshon can still fit in the modern NFL because he can play above the rim. But he's just not a guy that I was willing to draft in this in this exercise, given his injury history. So, EJ, what about you? What who are the guys that you had on your board that you're considering that didn't that went undrafted? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, we'll start up on the offensive side uh, with Martellus Bennett. He was my tight end too, and definitely a draftable player. Uh, Darnell Mooney was right there. He's my wide receiver three. That might surprise some people. Um, there's some other good names out there, but I think Mooney's future is extremely bright because he showed he's so much more than a speed threat in his first season. But again, there's some projections there. Uh, I talked about James Big Cat Williams. I'm really surprised you didn't talk about Kyle Long, JB. He was on my board, along with a couple of other guards, including Reuben Brown, who is a guy like Tate, who doesn't get a ton of love. He, he definitely had a pretty full career before he got to the Bears, but he was still a very solid player when he was with the Bears. So those are the guys on offense. Um, if we go to defense, I also had Eddie Goldman. He was my DT2, but not a – I ranked them as green and blue players. Um, Roosevelt Colvin for the edge mm, was nice. there. Um, nice. And Roquan was definitely – honestly, if I'm talking about straight value and and where you can get players, kind of – it's funny. Running back being devalued has devalued middle linebacker a little bit, but I think Roquan's probably worth more then matt forte it's it's a balance right i could have easily picked roquan there but i just wanted forte for that dual threat ability and he was the top running back whereas roquan was the second uh inside linebacker for me um another name that we haven't mentioned with, with again these guys that have checkered histories marshall was one of them i was able to overlook that and take him with my wide receiver spot uh bryce callahan like Bryce Callahan hmm. is an elite NFL player when he's healthy. He's one of the top 
two slot corners in the league, which is a starting position in the modern NFL. Nickel is the new base, and Callahan is as good as anybody when he's healthy and on the field. But I had him as my top slot corner and a green player, a guy that I absolutely could have taken. Um, and then in terms of safeties, uh, we talked about Jackson and Mike Brown quite a bit. I had Daniel Manning on there as well because I think Daniel Manning is a really good player. And if it, you know, if I felt like I had to say had to have a safety to, to in your words, tie the room together, I would have been fine with Daniel Manning, especially in the modern NFL. He had range, he had good instincts, played for a long time, and then went to the Texans and played very well there as well. So, um, you know, those are some of the guys uh, on my board that I didn't talk about i'm gonna ask everybody after lester gets to the folks that he had on his board who the sort of farthest out names you had are but lester who was left on your board you know i I like you mentioning uh some of the guys you mentioned there um i I like callahan obviously um i I like rosie colvin you know they they make my board but the highest guy on my board that didn't get drafted and, and that was kyle long i think kyle long's a guy that his athleticism you know, he didn't play much in college, obviously. You know, the Bears kind of, you know, when the Bears got him, they said, look, you are the right guard. You know, do that. That's your job. And his technique throughout his entire career was never very refined. He was a mauler. Uh, so I think moving into the, into the modern NFL, whether you, you put him at guard, if that's where he stays, or he goes to right tackle. And then you have to look at what he did at right tackle that one year. He was awful early. But as the year progressed, his technique got so much better. And, yes, he made the Pro Bowl. I'm not sure if it was quite warranted. But had he stayed at right tackle, I think he would have been a a Pro Bowl guy at right tackle. I think it would have been a little better for his overall body because the the tackles don't don't take quite the punishment that guards do in in the NFL. So that's a guy I had real high on my list. I also had Mike Brown. I had Roquan as well. Uh, The cornerback I had on my list that, that, that no one else seems to have is Tim Jennings. Um, I, I just think Tim Jennings was, he was very underrated. He made uh, t- two Pro Bowls late in his career playing with the Bears. You know, he's a guy that played a, a bunch of nickel early. Uh, the Bears played him outside. But he had that kind of shifty quickness that you could play at, at nickel in the modern NFL. And, and again, wh- whether he would be, you know, playing outside uh, or nickel, I think Tim Jennings is a guy that, uh, that, 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 that could thrive in any era. Yeah. Yeah, I had Jennings as my number two slot, and I also think Tim Jennings in the modern NFL has a lot of similarities, body type, play style, instincts, uh, physicality to a guy that everybody loves in Honey Badger, right? Terry Matthew, like, he can play that more positionless, you know, uh, very physical Matt Bowen player. said slot safety on a podcast yeah. with us the other day. And I was like, that's it. That's, you know, it's, it's sort of that nickel corner, but not afraid to come forward in the run. He was compact. He was very physical. He would press. So I had him as my second slot corner overall. Uh, definitely didn't forget about him. And then another guy that the bears played a little bit more outside was RW McCorders. And I think he could be as a dedicated <laughs> slot guy. He was my third dedicated slot guy. Not going to make, even probably my top 30, but I was just like, look, if I need to get a corner down the board, I had him on there. But I want to ask everybody, like, you know, you know, ahead. real quick, EJ, I had a couple, I had yeah, a couple more guys it. that I had on go my board. It. You know, uh, 
again, it all depends how the board was going to fall, but I had two defensive ends on my board uh, that were kind of there depending on how, how a lot of the, the things went. And that's uh, Adewale Agunle, mm-hmm. uh, who, who was a, a really good pass rusher. I think he, I think his best year may have been with the Dolphins. You know, but he had a, 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 a double-digit sack here with the Bears. He, he was really good off the edge. And the other guy at defensive end, he's very underrated. Um, but but he was just a, a good all around football player, and that's Alex Brown at defensive end. Love Alex you know, Brown. You know he, he doesn't have the speed off the edge that, that you really want, you know. But he's a guy that could I think in this day and age he may kick inside because I think he was you know six four you know two seventy five at his prime. You know that's big enough you know to kind of move inside and kind of move him around a little bit. Plus you know on the stunts and stuff, I think Brown's a guy. And then one thing I remember researching when I did uh, stuff for Brown you know years ago. You know, I think he had like like five or six picks during his career. So here's a guy that had really good ball skills as well. So, and then real quick, I want to touch on quarterback because, you know, I see with JB he he's a, a he has he has none on his team. You know, the, I had Andy Dalton. He was the last player on my board. So if I didn't get Cutler and I didn't get Fields, I was going to go with Dalton. And the reason why is you know he's 33 years old. Uh, so if we're looking at projecting what he's going to be. You know, for five more years, that'll push him to 38. Yes, he could play till 38. He probably could. Um, I think he is a a slightly above average in, in the right scheme. Um, but a guy like Dalton, I think, you know, he he, he could have been draftable in this situation. Um, but again, if we're looking at getting a guy like in, in the free agent market, yes, I, I like uh, JB's idea of going to get Josh McCown. Yeah, I did have Long on my board, just for the record. I just didn't mention it when I was running down. I just missed him as we were running through this. And I would probably take Long before I would take White Hair. Um, that's how I had it stacked. So I just missed it in my rundown there. Uh, that's some interesting names, some interesting names that I didn't uh, necessarily think of. But, EJ, you had a larger question that you wanted to ask both of us. Yeah, I just wanted to ask who the sort of – crazy outliers on your board were that uh, were names as you were doing research that you put up either because you thought there might be better in the modern NFL or you just really like their game and and maybe thought they were unappreciated we we touched on quite a few of those I've got three or four on offense and and maybe one or two on defense um, but I wanted to hear your guys's list because it's always fun to run back you're talking about 20 years worth of Bears history here uh, and you always come across players and kind of put a star by them and go man you know, that guy didn't get the right opportunity or his skills were ahead of their time or, or whatever it was. Um, who were some of those guys on your board? So I, while I, Adewale Agunlea was a guy that I thought about putting on my board, but I did, I took him off because I just didn't think he had enough of a Bears history to justify taking him in this exercise. Uh, Marty Booker was a guy that I thought about a lot. Um, I love Marty Booker. Marty Booker might have the biggest hands in the non-Alex Brown category. I was going to say, you mentioned Alex Brown. No kidding, he had five interceptions. Those those mitts just get anywhere near it, and it's just a, a magnet to, to, to pull down the ball. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think probably Booker was a guy that I thought a lot about. I don't know that he would be better in the modern NFL or anything like that, but you, you know, you just get a higher volume of passes. And he was a guy that was able to break a hundred catch it, the hundred catch plateau on a Bears offense. Like, who the heck does that? Um, and so, I just wondered what he would do with additional volume. I think it could be pretty interesting. But I, and I love Booker. Booker is one of my favorite players. Lester, who's on your list? You know, I mentioned a couple of guys I had pretty far down the list, but, you know, I only when I think, uh, like I said, I think 30 deep. So I left a guy like Darno Mooney off just because I didn't think, you know, I would get around you know that far. Um, a guy like Henry Melton, 
is a guy that I really thought I'll put on my board. Oh, interesting. You know, you know he, he was a Pro Bowl player at defensive tackle, you know, after playing running back at, at Texas. So, you know, here's a guy that, you know, he had the speed. He had he was a really good athlete. You know, I think if he was able to kind of, you know, you know, be plugged into this into the modern NFL, you know, with his for this first step quickness, um, you know, I think he would have thrived. And of course, you know, with with a guy like him, he had the the the, the real bad knee injury, you know, real late in his career with the Bears. There, it kind of you know ruined him. I think he only played four years with Chicago. I think he played one more year with the Cowboys. But a guy like Melton, he was really close to being on my board and. And and uh, but but I figure at the end of the day it was really only going to be Akeem or, or Tommy Harris at that spot. Yeah, no, Melton's a great one, and and exactly the kind of name I was looking for as we go through this on offense. I had a couple of just again not guys that were ever going to make my top thirty, and were only drafted in twenty one. Um, and a guy that didn't have a ton of Bears history, but it just made me think seeing him on the roster again. I thought, huh, in the modern NFL, what if you had a better shot? And that's Cordell Stewart, right? People forget that Cordell Stewart was a Bears quarterback for a year. And in the modern NFL, certainly what he brings, I'm not saying he's a great quarterback. I'm not saying he's even in the top five for this exercise. But I thought, huh, there's a guy that might have a better outlook as as a backup quarterback in the modern NFL. And then the rest of my guys were pretty much on defense. Um, I, too, had Marty Booker down the list. I had him ahead of Alshon Jeffrey because I liked him. Uh, We talked about Bennett, I had Des Clark on the list because I think he could play in any era. If we're talking about tight ends, it's just the tight ends not super valued. Um, Ottawa Gunnier was there. Um, Israel Adonage was on my list um, right above Alex Brown. I had those two as kind of even because another guy that just did it inside, outside. Um, again, bigger guy that could slide inside on passing downs. Um, for the straight up edge, I was never going to get to these guys because of value, but Mark Anderson is a guy I think would have been more successful in the modern NFL because he was a bit lighter and faster. Um, and then Willie Young's a super productive guy that just didn't come in with a ton of pedigree and had production and production and production finally ended up leaving and guy at inside linebacker that I had close again, because I think his projection in the modern NFL is a lot better than a projection when he played is Warwick Holdman. Right, the guy they lost in the uh, the whole fax gate, you know, didn't check the box, forgot to sign check the, the box, option, yeah. right? But Warcoldman was lighter, he was faster, and that was not in vogue when he was in the league. He was playing next to guys that were, you know, 240, 245, and he was, you know, he struggled to maybe make 235, but he had great speed. Um, I think his coverage ability was pretty good. I liked him a lot as a player, and again, I think. You know, is he better than a guy like Roquan? No. Is he better than a guy like Lance Briggs? Definitely not. But is he a guy that could have a better role in a modern NFL? Yeah, I think a guy like Warwick Holdman is, is makes that list. Uh, I'm gonna. I want to ask you guys. This is a question I was thinking about this morning. I, I I made the cutoff at the year 2000 because that really is kind of the modern Bears. You know, last 20 years. Okay, the 90s were pretty much terrible it's the 80s defense it's aging and then like just this black hole in the late 90s there's not a lot of fun players to talk about i mean a couple but if we were to go back like all right we've drafted these teams you look at your seven players right you've got your your core building blocks from your seven players and now we're giving you the opportunity to pull one guy from that 85 team and apply that to your team 
<laughs> and we can take Peyton off. I mean, I'm the only one that didn't get a running back. So it's like, oh, Jeff, that's not fair. Those two guys took a running back. You get Peyton. That's not fair. We can take Peyton off the board and we can say, you know, what guy from the 80s in the non-Peyton division would you pull forward and would you think would be interesting in the modern NFL? Uh, I'll go first. You know, man, you know, oh, this is a good question because <laughs> on offense, you know, you're, if you're looking at the guys in the offense that will translate, you know, I'm not sure a lot of guys, you know, the, the tight end, uh, Moorhead, uh, he was uh, not really his, – his skill set doesn't really work in, in today's NFL. Um, a guy like Willie Galt, obviously, you know, is great speed, you know, doesn't have the best of hands. I'm not sure really, you know, what he does much more for, you know, in the modern NFL. Um, but then, so I'm going to go back over to defense and, you know, obviously a lot of the guys that, that, that are on that team are great, but I'm going to go with a, a guy that really isn't really going to get mentioned. I don't think by you guys, I'm going to go Leslie Frazier <laughs> okay. at yep. corner because Leslie Frazier is probably, you know, I, I, I knew he was good back then, but someone on Twitter kind of, kind of mentioned him as one of the most unheralded guys ever on that defense. And I went back and watched some of the old stuff that I could find. That dude was a stud. I mean, he could cover. You know, he had great instincts. You know, that guy was a do-it-all guy. And if, if he didn't get injured, you know, he, he would have been one of those guys mentioned. You know, that when, when, when people talk about the great defense of the Bears in 85, he'd be right there at, on that list. You do hear a lot. I mean, the, you know, I was, I'm was i a little younger than you guys. It's not – I didn't get to watch these guys in, in when it was happening. I was alive but not necessarily football conscious. It and, was great. And a lot – I'm sure it was. And a lot of people <laughs> mentioned Frazier, and I'm always like, yeah, okay. Like as a, as a guy that looks through the history, I mean, the, the body of work isn't there. And so it, it's tough for me to say that he should be in the, mentioned in the same breath as a guy like Charles Tillman because – you just don't have the history, but um, that's pretty interesting because uh, I've been seeing that a lot too. There's a lot of you know, stands I, I, up. I there. think it was first when when we did our hundred bears thing, our exercise, and, and we didn't have Leslie Frazier quite as high as, as some people thought. So that's when I kind of first started going back and really watching some of the stuff I could find. I mean, there's not, there's not much out there, but you know, except for highlights. But you know, old school football scout guys that really study the game, they love Leslie Frazier. Uh, EJ, what about you? Because I got, got some time to think about this. Yeah, I, you know, if we're talking about offense, a guy like Dennis McKinnon would be really interesting because he had a two-way skill set. He had that running back, wide receiver skill set. They really didn't know quite how to use that. They used him as a wide receiver, um, but a guy that uh, was almost like a precursor to like a Roger Craig, right? And played in the same time, but Roger Craig was such a good receiver out of the backfield. McKinnon had that skill set. I would say anybody from the offensive line in 85 could play. That is a, a ridiculously talented offensive line. But I'm actually going to go yes, defense for sure. and just go with Wilbur Marshall because Stop. Wilbur Marshall you could play honestly as an edge in the modern NFL and almost have him in the Lawrence Taylor role, which he played a little bit in, in, his, in his playing time during his career. But – interceptions tackles for loss crushing the pocket rushing the pass or destroying running backs like wilbur marshall's one of those uber athletic guys one of the top sort of five ten percent of the athletes in already the top one percent of the athletes in the nfl who you could plug into a system and say look this is your job and he's gonna just blow people up at it right away so i'm gonna go with wilbur marshall 
I, I mean, I'm going to take Jimbo Covert because I need an offensive lineman. <laughs> so that's like very easy way for me to cover myself to because I didn't draft an offensive lineman here, and I'm going to take the Hall of Fame tackle. But uh, and I and I think that you know, offensive line for the most part is still going to translate. You probably need a little better feet than you did in the '80s, but you know, uh, otherwise, um, there's still a lot to translate there. I, I I find it interesting when I go back and I look at this team. And thinking about the defensive line, and I I think that Steve McMichael, who you know unfortunately had a pretty bad health diagnosis that, that came public here recently, I think Steve McMichael is the guy that doesn't get enough credit from the national perspective. And and and, and I love Richard Dem, and he's got all the sacks and all that. And I think, but I think if you dropped those three defensive linemen into the modern NFL, reset their careers starting in 2021, I would find it very interesting to see how Hampton. Uh, McMichael and Dent would stack up in the modern game. And I think that McMichael would at least be second on that list. And I, I, I think he was just super durable, super interesting. And, you know, he, he was super productive as well. There's a ton of sacks. And it just doesn't get the love uh, that those other guys did. I still think it's Hampton, number one, in my opinion. That's that's the guy that I think is best. But I also have Mac, Peppers, and Tommy Harris on this uh, <laughs> exercise, so I'm not going to touch a defensive lineman. But uh, what about you guys that watch those guys, and how do you think that they might relate? I know now I'm going into the 80s thing, but how do you think that they uh-huh. would translate here into the modern game? Yeah, I, I think with Dent Hampton, I think those guys translate. I think a guy like Marshall – you know, he, he, he was an absolute terror. He was my favorite guy on, on the 85 Bears team. He was just such a physical presence. And, 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 and like you are saying, you know, he, he can rush the passer. He could cover. He, he was all over the field. He was such a, such a great athlete. But you mentioned McMichael. Here's a guy that had 90-plus uh, sacks playing defensive tackle back then. You know, I'm not sure where he stands record-wise, but I think that maybe as much, if not more, than a guy like John Randall, who's in the Hall of Fame, you know, a guy like McMichael in this modern era of, of, the, of uh, more value on that interior pass rusher, Steve McMichael would, would be a stud today. Yeah, yeah, that front seven in general, uh, I, I don't know that we're going to see an accumulation of talent, quite frankly, that's like that front seven people uh, like yourself jb that maybe didn't see them play uh when you were thinking sort of tactically about football go yeah yeah dusty old 85 bears whatever i heard it was great right and it was (laughs) but when you go back to that film again i watch a lot of film and i didn't watch film back in those days i was you know middle school right I understood football, but I was just starting to understand football, right? I've been watching football for 10 years, but it's the kind of thing where you plunk down in front of the TV with your grandpa and they, they tell you some things and you go, yeah, and then you go outside and play. And you start to get into like, okay, who's going to be your team? And I just started to care about that a couple of years before. I picked the Bears about midway through the 83 season. And so I didn't fully appreciate that this didn't happen all the time. I thought, well, you know, Bears are the best team this year. Man, they look amazing and they're super fun to watch. But this probably happens with, you know, a couple of teams every two or three years. I go back and watch that 85 Bears defensive footage. I just went back and watched a probably 5-10 play compilation that somebody put together like two weeks ago. I don't, I don't do it all the time. But even now, even with the increased speed of the athletes, even with the incredible athletic feats, if you look at what people do at the combine and what people do, you know, as sprinters on track teams, like the athletic envelope has expanded, but that front seven was so crazy explosive 
Any one of those guys in the front seven could blow up any play. And if they missed, there were three guys right behind them to just mash people. If you got a yard or two, you were doing great. Like, great. <laughs> and you were getting smashed by four guys after a two-yard gain if you made it past the line of scrimmage. That kind of thing, I don't know that we're going to see end-to-end the assemblage of talent in front seven maybe ever again. So that was just a... It's a special, explosive defensive team. I I want to flip back to the offensive line real quick because I think the blueprint of how they built that offensive line is still relevant today because they put their high picks in the tackles. I believe both Covert, I know Covert was the first-round pick, and I think Van Horn was the first-round pick as well. And then yeah. they they didn't spend higher picks on the interior guys. They got a little lucky with Hilgenberg, but it's always a good idea to draft an Iowa center. And so that that's just a that's just a good idea to draft Iowa offensive linemen. Um, and, and those guards, I think, just filled in nicely. They just sort of again created that connected tissue between the center and the tackles. And so I think that blueprint that they that they followed in building that worked really well. Now that aged out. And then it led into the 90s for some lean years, and they didn't ever really rebuild that. But I think that that blueprint is actually a really good modern blueprint uh, for the Bears to follow now. Yeah, you mentioned the guy. Was it wasn't Mark Bortz also a guy from Iowa? Bortz was from Iowa as well. Yep. You know, but he, but he played D tackle in college, right? So he's a guy that kind of came into the NFL and kind of had had to make a transition. Then he got like Fair, who played in the USFL. He was a original Chicago Blitz, if I remember correctly. So 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 they kind of you know, like you said, they kind of found guys that kind of just worked in that scheme. They also had Kurt Becker, who had, had a bunch of starts that year. So yeah, that 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 old line was just a uh, outstanding offensive line. So Thayer was drafted on the same day to the USFL and to the Chicago Bears. But he signed his contract with the USFL before, right before, like literally like an hour before the Bears took him. And this was before Twitter. So, they, you know, the Bears didn't know. They had just like kind of thought that they were going to get the guy. Well, he had already signed the contract and he was going to make a lot more money in the, in the USFL than he was uh, playing for the Bears. And so he goes and plays in the USFL. And then the the he gets he's like well I wanted to stay in Chicago so I know I'm going to stay in Chicago with the Blitz so here I'm going to sign the contract ends up getting uh, signed uh, drafted by the Bears and then like the entire Blitz team or whatever like gets traded out traded yeah it's Arizona or whatever and so he actually has to move to Arizona then the USFL folds and then the Bears still have his rights and so he comes in a little later so he had a couple years in the USFL and then comes in it's not that he wasn't a draftable player. Because yeah. he was. He was drafted. He The Bears just retained his rights, and then he plugged right into that line. You know, it's funny. You know, we, we talk about the 85 Bears, and, and we talk about guys that can kind of fit in. And, you know, all the greats on that defense, you know, none of us mentioned Singletary. Uh, none of us mentioned Fensick. Uh, Otis Wilson. I mean, there was just so much talent on that defense. It was crazy. I'm not sure that they fit in as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what that, I'm saying. That's just, probably just it. Weird, weird from that era. Like a guy like Fensick, you know, does he have the speed to play in a modern game? I mean, he definitely has the IQ. Um, but I'm not sure if he has the speed to play in a modern game. And a guy like Singletary, you know, he was a pretty good athlete, but, you know, he was more downhill guy. Yeah, he was okay in coverage, but, you know, he, he just wanted to crack your skull. Two down thumper. Sure he, yeah, I mean, he, he would be okay, but he wouldn't be a Hall of Fame guy this No, this not day at all. And age. I agree. All right, any final kind of thoughts or lessons from this exercise or things that you think, you know, that the Bears have going for them because of, you know, where these guys rank, the modern Bears ranked on your list or what you think that the Bears need to kind of redouble their efforts at in terms of building for the future? I'd, I'd like to thank the coin 
for making my team <laughs> the best one. Um, really, honestly, when you look at these, and I learned my lesson the last time we did this, JB, right? We stacked players, and I was like, oh, I'll get one of those. And then I didn't win the toss, and you took, like, you basically took my top two from, from a pair of positions that was really light. And I struggled the rest of the exercise. You guys were smart enough to just say, hey, if I don't get it, I'm cutting it off and I'm not going to go away from my board. I was so blasted in that last one we did that I struggled throughout to try and play makeup and ended up with a team I really didn't like. Here I win the coin flip and everything's different. So, no, um, I, I think it's great. We can look forward to Justin Fields uh, and, and really offensive football from the bears that hopefully we haven't seen yet we want to see an elevated level of offensive football because you need that in the modern nfl you have to score points to win games um it'd be interesting to see how the young guys in terms of projection everybody else the guys were picking from the past that have had their full career we kind of have an idea who they were but guys like tevin jenkins guy like jalen johnson guys like darnell mooney like are you know a guy like jalen johnson we talked about is he going to keep that level high is he going to stay healthy if he does his career's off the charts. If he ends up getting injured, it's not. Mooney, I think, is a sort of sleeper kind of a guy that is way better already than people think. Uh, even people in the know that are watching are saying, hey, you know, this guy's way better than his draft slot. He burned a lot of good guys last year. He's more than just a speed guy. Um, guys like that I'm always going to root for. I was a big fan of Mooney coming out of Tulane, and and they make watching Bears teams fun. He was one of the guys that was going to make this team, this year's team watchable if they didn't end up with anything at quarterback. Now with a guy like Justin Fields, who had a receiver like that at Ohio State, and Chris Olave, who's going to be a top pick next year, like, Justin Fields is going to love a guy like Darnell Mooney. So I, it's an exciting thing going forward. Fields is the the match that lights the powder keg, hopefully. But um, fantastic exercise. And again, uh, my best advice to all you doing fantasy drafts out there is is win the coin toss. Yeah. Win the toss. <laughs> Lester, what about you? Yeah, I kind of agree with, uh, with the same sentiment. I mean, I think the Bears, you know, obviously that's been a, a defensive, you know, franchise throughout history. You know, but you know, the defense wins championship era. That's I, I hate to see it, but it's 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 coming to a close if it's not already done already. I mean, you can't just you know deal with mediocre quarterback play if you have a great running back and, and a good offensive line. I mean, and, and a good defense. You know, you need you know it, it's it's a quarterback driven league. You know, it has been the last few years, and and it kind of, we kind of see that with with who wins the most games, who are the perennial playoff contenders it's always a team with a quarterback yes a, a, a occasional outlier can come in there you know but you know there'll never be a, a Trent Dilfer like you know Ravens team again I mean that's just that's just not going to happen you know you need a quarterback and, and the Bears come on now we, we got Justin Fields so let's see what happens I mean all the projections say he's the man you know the Bears are fired up about this guy you know the, the players are fired up I mean he has really you know re-energized the entire fan base so you know, man, Justin Fields, if he's the man, I mean, he's, he's going to own the city. Absolutely. I think that's why we're all so excited. So let's uh, let's end this exercise, run back to the drinks. I will tell you that this drink is not going to be for everybody. Uh, this Fernet Branca is is a super polarizing uh, Amaro. If you if you look it up, I've, I've been kind of obsessed with it because it's just I don't know. It's a ta- it's a taste profile that just really hit me right. And I really love Coke. And so that's probably part of it, but this was just fantastic. And so I've been doing deep dives on different Amaro, Amari, and it's been really fun. And it's a, it's a really cool uh, 
section of the liquor store that I didn't really know much about, but it's at least worth a try. Um, the bottle's not that expensive. I want to say like 30, 35 bucks or something like that if you can find it. So it's not like it's going to put you out like I'm saying, hey, go buy McCollin 18. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's not that big of a deal or just like just try to find a bar that you can order it at and, and, and see if you, it's something that you might like. It's definitely going to be different if you haven't had anything like it before. If you're an adventurous drinker, it's at least worth having one so that you can say that you've had it. How was the beer, uh, AJ? Beer's great. Uh, drink it while it was cold. Goes down extremely smooth. Uh, for those of you that are a little less, uh, for those of you that are beer drinkers that like beer just a little bit less, don't like the bite, um, certainly haven't caught on to the IPA craze, but you still want uh, something that's you know solid. Uh, if you can get Belching Beaver, uh, it's not distributed across the entire United States, but it's fairly widely distributed. If you can get uh, this Miso Honey Blonde, it's a very good example of the style you can definitely taste the honey it's not overwhelming but it does even out that super bitter taste that a lot of people don't like with beer uh for me it's a little bit on the sweet side but again if you drink it really cold it goes down easy um i i enjoy it and then the main event lester drank an ipa (laughs) let's hear it you know i i did uh notice the the fruity notes of pineapple upon the the initial smell here and it did kind of taste that way and it's just not for me. I'm not a beer guy. It was, uh, you know, I, I drank it all. Um, I, I feel a little bit of the buzz from it because, like I said, I don't drink very often. So it kind of has does have me feeling good. Uh, but I, I do need a, a ruling on the Bears over Beers judging panel here for my next appearance. Uh, where do you guys stand on hard ciders? Is Would that qualify as a beer in We've- your era? I, I, well, I mean, I, I bring on bo- yeah. bourbon we've and been, scotch we've been pretty and mixed flexible. drinks all we've the time. We've gone from root beer yeah. on one end when we had underage okay. guests uh, to folks yeah, yeah, that yeah. totally forgot and drank water. Uh, they'll, they shall be unnamed to a wide <laughs> selection of beers. And then when things get really uh, rough during the season, we've gone the bourbon route. Uh, I think we might have had some scotches. I may have had a shot of tequila on this show. I can't remember. So He brought an Irish coffee. Oh, yeah. I was actually going to do Irish okay. coffee today because we started recording before noon, but I was like, ah, who cares? It's not a work day. So I, I drank beer. But yeah. I was I was really close. I, I was either going to go with a Red's Apple, a uh, mm-hmm. hard cider, um, or I was going to go uh, a Colt 45. Oh. 40. Uh, two options today. <laughs> okay. So, I want oh. another show. <laughs> Those are two different things. I want things. another show <laughs> yeah, two, two where different. Lester drinks a 40 of malt liquor. I don't care what the topic is. JB, you can flip a coin and come up with the topic. I want the big guy on 40 ounces of hard liquor on Bears Over Beers. That. This little can did. Oh did, did, man! You know, then we have to. Right. We I, have I got to a little buzz. It. So if I had a forty, oh, you know, I, I, back in my my younger days, you know, when I did drink, I would drink. Um, but like I said, I just don't drink very often anymore. Okay, I, I'm not a big fan of the. I'm not a big fan of the flavor of actual beer. It just doesn't. All I right, really I will like tell you too a quick story about my one foray <laughs> into malt liquor. So we're in college, and we decided on a very it was an ill-fated decision that we would go out uh to a you know corner store because it has to be a corner store and we would get a wide selection of all the malt liquors that we could get a hold of and so there are four of us okay and we, we got th- like three 40s a piece and we got all different ones so we had like 12 40s of malt liquor and then we kind of set up all the plastic cups and did taste tests and just went for it and it was it was saint ides and Cold 45. Old English. Oh, no. All the, 
all Mickey's. Yeah, oh yeah, we had Mickey's. Well, Mickey's we drank like we drank the. I don't know if you guys had the Mickey's in the little uh, short stubby bottles that we used to call brain grenades or Mickey's stingers. But anyways, no, Mickey's we're familiar with, but most of the other stuff, Old English, St. Ides, like we did the whole thing, right? And generally, I I don't want to offend the malt liquor drinkers out there, but uh, like malt liquor is pretty nasty stuff. Anyways, we ended up drinking a lot of it. Um, (laughs) Woke up in the middle of the night, so two of us lived in this apartment. One guy was crashed out on the couch. The fourth guy was gone. That was really interesting. He had just wandered off in the middle of the night. That's what happens. And yeah, it happens. Uh, ended up getting back to sleep. And then, no kidding, <laughs> 7 a.m. the next morning, the local high school marching band goes by. Marching band <laughs> practice the morning after uh, a malt liquor exposition. Not a great combination, I'll just tell you that. I I don't want to do a moment. No, I do so. not. No, that's all on Lester. <laughs> I've, I've been there, that. done that. I can I can say I earned the badge. I bring a cider <laughs> on, but I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna do malt liquor. Okay. All right. Well, Lester, what's going on at the site? Uh, anything you want to talk about? You know, right now we're in the midst of our, our 30 day challenge for the entire month of June. We got a, a crazy topic popping up on the site here. Different writers, you know, each each day. Um, I think today's was uh, favorite all time Bears quarterback. Uh, I think we had favorite bear, all-time Bears whiteout a couple days ago. I think we've also had stuff like, uh, you know, favorite place to watch the game. Do you have any uh, Bears superstition? So it's it's a little different topic, and we're going to do that the entire month of June, plus as well as all the other usual stuff we have popping off at the site. Awesome. EJ, what's going on at Bootleg? And get oh, us out of here. we are banging through divisional previews. So we talk about every move that each team made through the entire offseason. So draft, free agency, and UDFAs, as well as coaching changes. We're doing those division by division. Uh, we did the uh, West, Western region. We did NFC and AFC West. We're moving on to the Southern region next week. Uh, but those will go on for about the next eight weeks. And then uh, we might be doing some pop up drafts for underdog fantasy uh where we're popping up and drafting against users so uh keep on social media to check out those um but other than that that'll take us through the next couple of months and by then we'll be into camp and have real nfl storylines again which we're pretty excited about but no we're we're thrilled things are going well and uh yeah hold down for the summer get out do some barbecues uh because when fall comes you're going to want to be inside watching this bears team on sundays for sure So until then, uh, we will see you next time and bear down.